Good morning, church fam. How are we all doing this morning? Good. Buddy's alive, awake, alert, enthusiastic. It's good to be here. Uh, if we haven't met, I'm uh, John Larson. I'm one of four pastors here of Summit View Church. And a couple of announcements before we dive into God's Word. The first is uh, an exciting thing here that happened this weekend. I might need help with the slide. You guys could pull that up whenever it's convenient. We hosted a winter teen conference here this weekend. Uh, yeah, super awesome. There were maybe around 100 youth that came here from six different churches. And uh, we brought in a guest speaker from our sister church in Utah. He spoke about the church, how God intends us to be united, and um, just the beauty and power of God's church. And it seemed like the Holy Spirit was really at work, renewing the hearts of our youth. And um, it was awesome. So I just thought we could give God a round of applause. So we did this weekend. Super awesome. Um, one more announcement before we get started is that we are going to be taking communion at the end of the sermon. So for those of you who are uh, watching on the live stream, uh, make sure you can get ready with a bread and a cup so you're ready at the end of the sermon. Let me start with a story here. I remember going clothes shopping in sixth grade. And I came home with this Nike t-shirt. I wasn't actually purchasing clothes. I was buying acceptance. At least that's what I thought. In middle school, I struggled with feeling relationally insecure. AKA, I wasn't cool but I wanted to be cool. If I could just be well-liked, if I could be part of that in-crowd, everything would be great. I would be liked, I'd be accepted, everything would be secure. You see, the popular crowd in middle school wore Nike. Nike everything. Nike shirts, Nike shorts, Nike socks, Nike shoes, Nike backpacks, Nike whatever. And so I thought if I could just get one shirt, the one shirt that I could afford, and if I wore it as often as possible, as often as I could get it washed, sometimes it was washed, sometimes it wasn't. If I just had the Nike t-shirt, I would gain acceptance. Guess how that went for me? Not so good. I, it was an epic failure. I got tricked. It turns out all I was purchasing was an overpriced t-shirt, and not only was I insecure, but now I was also disappointed. I wonder, have you ever felt disappointed by money and possessions? Money makes for a really disappointing God. Every human being since the beginning, since the garden, has tried to make money be more than it is, ask for it to be more than God intended, and have been disappointed. We've asked money to be things like security, value, love, forgiveness, peace, and pleasure. Essentially, we're asking money and possessions to give us life. I want you to recall that Genesis story with me in introductory thoughts here as we move towards the passage of what life was like in the beginning with regard to possessions. You remember in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God created it all and each day after he made something new, he capped it off by saying it was good. 
Day one, two, three, four, five. Good, 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 good. It's day six and the culmination of it all. It's very good. Even the trees, all of it was good. And I want you to imagine what it was like to be there in the beginning, to be Adam or Eve, and how good life must have been. You see, they had everything. They really did. All those things that I just mentioned, they had security, value, love, peace, pleasure. They had relationship with each other. They had a beautiful creation and an abundance of possessions at their disposal. Best of all, they had God himself, right? And yet, something went terribly wrong. You remember the serpent came in and deceived Eve regarding the fruit. Let's look at how God described the fruit and then what Eve thought of the fruit here. Genesis 1 and then Genesis 3. God describing the trees and the plants, the fruit said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And then after that, he said, it's good, or it's very good. So the trees were good. They were good for food. But then in Genesis chapter 3, I'll read a little bit more than's on the slide. The serpent says to Eve, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Eve got deceived. She got tricked. She thought that this possession could give her more than what God said. God said, hey, this is fruit. It's good. You should eat it. But the serpent twisted and said, no, the fruit is going to make you like God. It will be good for making you wise. She distrusted, Eve distrusted her loving heavenly father, and they left the garden very disappointed, both Adam and Eve. God made fruit on trees for food to be good for eating, not to become like God. God made shirts to be good clothing, not to be a way of getting acceptance, God intended money and possessions for meeting our needs. He didn't intend it to replace him as the giver. Never since that first sin, generations of humans have come and gone and lived and been disappointed in the way that money overpromises and underdelivers. Money makes for a very disappointing God. And because you and I have sinful hearts, all of us have sinful hearts, it makes the Subject of money and possessions rather tricky, rather complicated, because uh, it's an issue of the heart. There are kind of two big categories when it comes to money in the Bible, and I put them in, lumped them in these two categories. There are a number of scriptures that talk about how money or possessions are a gift from God to be enjoyed. Even like that passage, like the fruit, eat it, enjoy it, it's good. But there are also um, a number of scriptures that basically describe money and possessions as being a competition to our love and trust in God. What do you think the general proportions of these might be over here? Gifts to be enjoyed, competition. You think scripture proportion. You're welcome to share. It's not rhetorical. 50-50, it's a good starting point. One, One to four in which direction? Competition, okay. I don't have the exact number, 
but the overwhelming, there's definitely more than the majority, there's a lot more scripture that warns us about what money can do to our hearts than there are scriptures that tell us to enjoy it. I wish I could give both of these sermons because I'd love to give a sermon about how money is a gift to be enjoyed, but that's not the scope of today, and we probably need to hear a little bit more of this side. We need to hear warnings about what money can do to our hearts because um, there's something about it that, uh, that captures our heart. It distracts us from God. So we need seemingly radical warnings, like the one that Travis read last week. He went through the, the time Jesus encountered the young, rich young ruler, and you remember what he said. He basically told him to give away all he had and follow Jesus. And today we're going to look at some similar warnings. That's going to be the theme, the thread of this morning, because like I said, money makes for a really disappointing God. And God our Father can actually offer us something better. Meeting our daily necessities, but also meeting those deeper needs that we ask money to give us. This is going to be our theme for the morning, and then I'll give one more um, comment before we get going. Money makes for a disappointing God. So let's heed these warnings against idolizing money and instead be satisfied with God's better provision. One more caveat, one more thing before we pray. Intended to help you come, like that song we sang, to come ready to listen, ready to obey. Oftentimes, this is what I think happens. We'll, we'll read something strong in the Bible about money, a warning. Like last week, Mark 10, 21, Jesus said, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have. Give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. I don't know if you've thought this. And then maybe the next thing you think, or at least maybe before, you'd say, oh, man, I've got money. Jesus wants me to give away all my money. But then somebody else comes along. They've been doing this longer than you have, and they've read the Bible a lot, and they say, oh, no, no, no. Um, It doesn't mean that all of us need to give all our money. That was just his idol. That doesn't mean it's your idol. So that's, you don't have to give away all your money. And then we think, oh, thank goodness, because I didn't want to do that. I'm glad I don't have to do that. But what am I supposed to do after reading something like that? And what I think happens more often than not is that we don't spend enough time leaning into it. We don't spend enough time waiting on the Lord to hear his voice, to be led by the Holy Spirit in the way that he would want us to receive that warning. Because I believe we're not following mere principles as followers of Jesus. We are following a person. And that means something that he calls you to in one moment might be slightly different in another moment, even though he stays the same and his character is the same. One moment, Jesus might ask you to give away all your possessions. Another moment, he might ask you to be mildly generous. Another moment, he might command you to enjoy a gift that he's given you. Think about Abraham. Travis mentioned him last week. Abraham was very wealthy. God blessed him with loads of possessions. And yet at another time, he asked him to sacrifice his priceless beloved son. And so God is not a machine. We're following a person. And so we want to hear his voice. The goal is not a certain financial lifestyle. The goal is not a certain number. The goal is to hear God's voice and to obey it. And so that's why I'm asking you this morning is if you're willing to listen to God through his word, 
if you want to lean in and see what he wants for you for right now, for this season, not yesterday, not tomorrow, for today. And lean in and trust your good Heavenly Father. So with that, how about we pray, and then we're going to look at three warnings from the scriptures about loving money. Sound good? Bow your heads, let's pray. God, we believe that you are good. We believe that you're a great father, you're a great daddy. You know how to give us good gifts. But we, uh, we need your help. Our hearts are fickle. Our hearts still struggle with indwelling sin. And we're not even aware of how much our love of money taints our view. And right now we just want to come with an open heart, all of us. And we want to come expectant that you would speak to us as we open your word. That maybe even you would lead us in a fresh direction, whatever that may be. We give you permission to do whatever you want with our hearts, with our lives, with our wallets. As worship to you, we are grateful. You have given us so much. We can never thank you enough. We, we cannot outgive you. And so we just want to come with humble hearts. Speak to us. We're listening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we're going to look at three, just briefly look at three warnings. We're not going to go to all the depths of these scriptures. I wish we could. Um, this morning before leading towards communion. So we're going to start in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And uh, I've got the page number on there. I encourage you to just grab that Bible in front of you so you can track along, see what God's word says. And uh, I'll read all this and make a, maybe a couple observations from this passage here. 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 6 on page 993. Sounds like we're all just about there. I'll start it. This is God's word. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. You can go to the next page. As for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, this is verse 17, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. A lot of good things in this scripture. And um, first thing I want to start with is that comment where he says to the rich. I love how even Paul phrases this, for the rich in the present age versus eternity. You might be rich now. You may or may not be rich for eternity. But for those of you who are rich in the present age, I have something to say to you. And a number of times I read this and just kind of glaze over it like, well, this isn't so much for me. I know I'm not rich. I know other people that are, but I'm not. But recently, I've been, my eyes have been opened to maybe just a bit of how rich I actually am. 
And I don't mean in a spiritual sense, I mean literally, I mean physical with finances. Um, I'd read this book a couple years ago. It's not a new one. It's called Factfulness. It came out in 2017. And um, already the stats are old because now there's 8 billion people, but they're talking about 7 billion people there. But they described four different levels of living in the world today. Um, level one, people who live on less than $2. Level two, that's 2 to $8. Level three is 8 to 32 And then level four is more than $32 a day. And it describes the difference of someone living in level four. The amazing thing is that they actually have hot and cold water in their house. And um, they probably have access to a vehicle to get around. And um, it also made the noted that maybe people in level four, if they had $3 less per day, it wouldn't really make a big difference in their life. You'd notice it, but it wouldn't make a big difference. Whereas someone in level one and two, it's a whole different experience of life between carrying a bucket to go get water out of a hole versus having water nearby. And it opened my eyes to realize, you know what? I think I, think I have more resources than I think. Even if I compare myself to my surroundings, I might not have as much, but in a world sense, I have a lot of wealth. And I don't know about you, I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I went on a mission trip once to uh, Mexico, and we were driving to visit an impoverished village. On the way there, we we passed a Ferrari dealership, I'm not kidding, and then we drove in to see these people, and it was shocking, it it, it changed my experience of how I saw life when I came back. And I saw they were living in the trash dump, using what they found in the dump to make small shelters. And I thought about the things that I complain about and what my experience is like here. And it's, it's very op- eye-opening and sobering. And so even in this preparatory uh, thought, I do want to give you maybe an action point to consider Um, If you haven't done something like this, maybe consider going to another place that is different than Fort Collins, different than Northern Colorado. And a great opportunity would be this spring break. Might be a little hard to read. Sorry about that. Um, You can join Toby um, and Monica. They're going to be down in Costa Rica for spring break. And if you would like that chance to come back with a different perspective of your resources and your possessions, then... um, you can give him an email and head on down there. He's got actually pretty affordable accommodations, believe it or not, and you can have a life-changing experience. So all that to say, I want to encourage that maybe a lot of us do apply when Paul says to the rich, even if you don't feel that way. Uh, but he, uh, Paul warns us of some dangers, some pretty strong dangers. This is one of those passages that's really strong on warning about money. And it warns how dangerous loving money is. It's, first of all, a root of all kinds of evil, meaning it's the headwaters of evil that leads to many different kinds of evil. Or you might notice uh, it starts with a desire to be rich, but then it leads to many harmful desires. So it's the start of a lot of brokenness in our lives. And it all starts with something that's rather subtle. It's hard to tell if somebody loves money on the surface. It's hard to tell if we love money, but it just starts there. But notice how destructive this is. Notice what it leads to. It leads to 
um, falling into temptation. What kind of temptation? An ensnaring temptation. It leads to many senseless and harmful desires. Something that's just loving money leads to things that make absolutely no sense, that really destroy our lives. And then look at that, and then it plunges us into ruin and destruction. I was reading this with a brother this week, and we looked at that word plunging. It's the same word as baptism. So instead of like baptism, think about what that is for us as believers. If you love money, you get baptized into ruin and destruction. Oh, no thanks. I don't think I want that. And in that way, it kind of made me think that um, loving money is a little bit like a gateway drug, if you're familiar with that term. It's a, an initial drug that leads to even worse addictions. And so money is like that. If you love money, it starts rather subtle, maybe seemingly harmless, and it can absolutely destroy a life. So much so that one's faith might be in peril based on loving money. You notice that with that phrase, um, many have wandered away from the faith. And this is rather sobering. The way we treat money might affect our outcome of whether we end up loving Jesus at the end of our life or what we're doing, what are our greatest affections. You remember how Jesus spoke in a similar way, a different parable, where he described Uh, Life and God's word being like a field in which seed is sown on some ground. And some of the seed grows well, but this is the third one, the seed that gets thrown among thorns. And he describes, he interprets his parable, and he says, the others are ones that are sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, it's a key word, the deceitfulness of riches, And the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfaithful, unfruitful, that is. There's something about loving money, trusting in money, that can really affect our faith, and for some, even lead to not having a fruitful life at all. And so, we need to beware of this. Don't treat money flippantly, we need to take it seriously. But he also gives us a few ways that we can combat this. And I love this. This is maybe one of the things that's been refreshing me a lot as I've studied this. Is a command towards contentment. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment being satisfied with what God has currently put in front of us right now. Being able to thank him for what we have. Not just focusing on what we don't have. And that's great gain. We were discussing last week's sermon as a small group and there was discussion about how we live in a very affluent town with a lot of resources and yet it doesn't seem like our city is bursting over with gratitude. Everybody's just, man, I'm so grateful. It seems like there's an ingratitude just in our city. And so I was convicted. I was reading this quote out of this book, which is a great resource. We want to go deeper into money by uh, Paul David Tripp. He said this, I'm deeply persuaded that there is a direct connection between ingratitude and financial troubles. I'll read more of the quote, not on the slide. To the degree that we are content with what God has graciously and loving provided, to that degree we have immunized ourselves against the temptation to take life into our hands and use money however we think best. A grateful heart focuses on the riches provided, not on the things that may be lacking. 
And I've been convicted about this lately and my need to grow in gratitude. And I think so often I do, I can, I can have a hundred blessings that God gives me in a day and I'm thinking about the one thing that I didn't get and I've probably only thanked him for one thing, but he's every day given so much, even small things like my microwave. You guys remember the cold snap we had a couple weeks ago? It got down to like negative whatever. Our microwave um, vents outside, and because it was so cold, I think it, it froze the, um, some of the grease that was in the bearings, and so we couldn't work our microwave. And I realized, I'm really entitled. I'm used to a microwave. I'm used to 30 seconds, and I've got something hot. And I've been grateful my microwave's been working again. Have you thought about how winsome a grateful heart is in our Christian witness? It's not fun to be around people that are complaining, but it's really attractive to be around a grateful person who's just saying, man, God has been so good to me. Can I tell you another thing that God did in my life? Can I tell you another way he provided? It does amazing things for our witness. And so brothers and sisters, I ask, how could you grow in gratitude to God? Not merely focusing on the lack, but being grateful for what he has provided. And one more thing in this, in this uh, section, Paul gives us another way to combat our love of money, and it's um, through generosity. And I'm not going to go in depth here, I'm just going to briefly touch it because this is going to be part of Aaron's sermon next week, as he talks about money being our servant. Um, but generosity is commanded, it's another way of combating making God uh, money into our God. And interestingly, Paul doesn't tell the rich in this present age to sell that they have and give to the poor. Rather, he commands generosity, which tells me once again that we're not following mere principles, we're following a person. How do you know if you're supposed to give it all away? How do you know if you're just supposed to be generous? We get to follow a person. And notice that the reference point for our generosity is eternity. Says those who are rich, who are uh, they store up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. So many of us are planning for our financial resources now. How are we going to make it to the age of 70, 75, 80, 85? But what are we investing in the moment when we close our eyes and open them and meet King Jesus? And He's got eternity set for us. It's a free gift. But are we investing in um, those chances for heavenly rewards? So that kind of changes everything when we have that reference point of eternity. But let's move on to our next one. We've gotten one warning against um, being rich or at least loving riches. Let's look at this next one in Luke 12. Once again, another parable from Jesus. Luke 12, starting verse 13, we're on page 871. And I'll start reading it. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher! Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, 
be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Notice a few things from this passage. This is kind of a key thing that Jesus says, that we are tempted to believe that our life is about the abundance of our possessions. That's the key to happiness in life. But he says that isn't the key. And then he tells this parable against this guy who's got tension with his sibling about an inheritance, about this man who wants to build larger barns. And you might notice that he is a rich man whose fields produce plentifully. So he was already rich and wealthy, but then his fields had like a real bumper crop. So this isn't just a little bit of wealth. This is an exorbitant amount of wealth. This is more than he'll be able to use himself. This is like spring of 2020 at Costco when all the toilet paper runs out and because people have bought like 10 things of toilet paper. They're not going to use them anytime soon. It's way too much. That's what's going on here. And I want you to notice how many times he says, I, I was kind of emphasizing that as I read it, or me, he is so self-focused, he's talking to himself, he's talking about himself, I shall do this, oh, I've got this, I'm going to do this. He's totally absorbed in himself, he's not thinking about other people, he's not thinking about the chance to be generous, but maybe most dangerously, he is thinking that material possessions will satisfy his soul. Jesus purposely wrote this, said this parable to be kind of shocking. Soul, you shall be satisfied. Eat, drink, be merry, as if all those possessions would fill up his soul. And that's not true. God calls him a fool, and he says, this night your soul is required of you. These are strong warnings against materialism, excessive materialism, which in summary magnifies our relational conflict. If you've ever seen siblings try to work out an inheritance, you know what I'm talking about. Um, materialism wastes so much resources trying to keep up. We live in an age of social media. We're constantly comparing. Am I keeping up with everybody? It's magnified it. And we're never satisfied. Money never says, yeah, all right, that's enough. There's always a desire for more, for a bigger hit, for more. And then maybe most shockingly, soberingly, the way Jesus addresses this, he says that it can lead our souls down a path to hell. We're really, in one sense, getting what we want, asking money to be our God. We don't want God to be our God, and so we get the fruit of it, just an eternity apart from him. And so beware of the fact that materialism can have on our hearts. How do you know if you might be struggling with materialism? Wouldn't be good just to compare with your neighbor. Maybe one way to know is to look at those areas where your budget gets broken or where you go into debt. I'm not saying all debt is bad. There's obvious exceptions. But just as a self-diagnosing question, you say, hmm, what are the areas where that get broken? What are the areas where I go into debt more often than not? And that might be the area where you're asking money to be God and your provider and life giver instead of God himself. And so if that pricks something in you and you're like, man, I really got to get debt figured out. I really got to get help with a budget. I want to encourage you to take this upcoming class that we're offering because this is not a context to go through all of the budget or debt talk here from the stage, but in a smaller setting. And so we're going to have this uh, finance class beginning on February 5th. 
It'll be before the service, 8-10, and a chance for a number of weeks to get instruction, but also be in a small setting where you can discuss and get advice for what's going on um, in your financial world. So super easy to sign up, summitview.com slash events, um, and you can take this conversation a little bit deeper and a little bit more practical. I've been convicted by this passage um, recently as I felt the tight squeeze. I redid my budget this last week. I freshly went over all the categories. And after that, then I looked at the savings account. And then I falsely went, ah, okay, there's something there. And that's doing the same thing as the warning in this passage. It's trusting that money would be a security when God says, I will be your security. I will be your provider. And so I felt convicted by this. My security is not in a savings account. It's not in a number. My security is found in God. And so that's actually a perfect transition to our last passage, a great one that warns us against worry, but also offers us a better security. And we're going to look at the very famous um, Sermon on the Mount by Jesus, just read over it, words that will encourage the worried heart. And so if inflation and money changes of late have gotten you fretful, um, I'm not even going to do too much commenting on it. I'm just going to let Jesus do all the speaking here. I want you to just let these words wash over you. So if it's helpful, you're welcome to read it on the, uh, in, your, in the Bible, or you just listen to it and think of the simple, profound wisdom and hope that Jesus is offering. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Jesus says, you cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about the body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grasses of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God in his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It feels good just to hear it, doesn't it? There's power in the words of Jesus. An anxious heart overvalues physical needs. An anxious heart overestimates control of what we can do. We can't add a single hour to our life. And an anxious heart underestimates the loving care of God the Father. 
sure you can see that doesn't need a lot of examples or analogies from today to know worry about money is very prevalent, it's very close, it's very recognizable. And so any time that we're worried about money, like my example from this last week, it's showing that I'm not trusting, or that you're not trusting that God is a loving Father who promises to care for you. He doesn't promise you wealth. Notice that. He said um, food, clothing. He promises the daily necessities as he determines. He doesn't promise a new car, but he promises to meet our daily needs. And even more important than that, he promises to meet our deeper needs. Let me... Um, Let me move uh, towards the end of this by sharing a verse that's been very meaningful to me and then share a personal story of how God anchored in a deeper sense of his loving provision in my life. And so if you are, if you happen to be taking notes, I would say write this verse down, Psalm 37, 25, or or even if you're thinking, what's I'm going to remember from this sermon? Maybe remember this verse, Psalm 37, 25. It says, I've been young and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. A wonderful, wonderful principle that captures that heart of Matthew 6. And so let me wrap up by telling you a story of how God's proved this to me. And I'm hopeful that maybe you will have a chance today or with friends to share stories you have of how God's provided for you. Um, So my story was from a few years back and I was in college And I went on a summer trip with college students to Boulder, Colorado for a leadership training summer. And during that summer, we were reading a number of different books and biographies. And one of them we were reading was called God Smuggler. And it's the biography about Brother Andrew, a guy who was taking Bibles and he was smuggling them into communist Europe, being able to sneak them past guards and all that kind of stuff. And one of the main themes from the biography was his trust in God to provide. So anytime there was a need, often financial, or sometimes even in terms of getting the Bibles across the border, they prayed. And that was the overwhelming theme is like, okay, don't tell other people, start by going to God. Present your need to him and see what happens. And there's wonderful stories. I don't have time to share from that biography, but consider reading it if you'd like. And um, as it turned out, we got in, we started the summer and um, our leader informed us that the, the lease where we were staying in Boulder, close to campus, was going to end a few days before the end of our summer, before we all finished our jobs and we finished this leadership training. And so in the spirit of the God Smuggler book, he said, here's what I want all of us to do. Could we all just pray about this need all summer and not tell anybody except God? Not even your families. You can't even tell your families back at home that, We have this need, and we're going to trust God to meet our need like he did for Brother Andrew and God Smuggler. And so we did that, and it was a summer of prayer. We definitely, I mean, we had sometimes, it was Saturdays, and we would do, we'd pray from 8 to noon, just lots of prayer. And we kept praying for it, and we didn't know, how is this going to get met? We started in June. Our lease ended on July 31st. So we kept praying. We're getting closer to the deadline Nothing had happened yet, and so finally it got to the last day. And so we all packed up our, our belongings from our room. It's not that much when you're single, but just a few. 
we put them into our cars, or for me, I didn't have a car, I just had a bike, so I put them in a friend's car, and then I went to work, and we all decided to come back, not to the house, because we wouldn't have keys to it, but we just met on campus. So we met in campus, and everybody got there, I was like, okay, what's going to happen? And nothing had happened. No one had anything. And so we had a guitar, so we just started singing. We just started praising God and singing hymns and praying some more. And people were getting there. You know, we had different times we got done with work. So people would arrive at different times. And finally, we had the majority of us, but not everybody. There was one more person who was still at work. And then we got a call. And she said, Hey, and she was asking the leader, I wasn't the leader, hey, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do here. My coworker just happened to ask what's, um, when my lease ends and how long we're staying in Boulder. So I wasn't sure. And she said, because I just had, I just wanted to have the sense, like, could, do you need a place to stay? And so we're trying to find out, is God in this? And the leader said, yeah, I think you should go with that. She didn't, she didn't bring it up, so we went with it. Okay. And so she, he's on the phone, he's talking to her, and... And she's saying, okay, this is how much room we have. Um, I've got room for, let's see here, five girls and three guys. And we looked around. It's like, okay, if you add her, she's at work. There are five girls and three guys. This is the exact need that we had that was met by somebody else because we prayed. And I know that's rather trite and simple. And I know that's not a story of like getting tens of thousands of dollars or something crazy like that. But for my life that anchored in something really deep in me that even when I don't know what's going on, I just have a sense that God the Father is going to provide and that he's good and he's not going to forsake the righteous and he's not going to leave his children begging for bread. Do you have a story like that in your life? I bet a lot of you do. I'm hoping that If not now, maybe another time, maybe even after the service, you can share your story with the person next to you of how God's provided for you. So with that, let's um, move towards taking communion this morning, um, which is a celebration of the gospel. The gospel is the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the gospel is amazing because it offers us freedom from idolizing money. The gospel offers us something better than money can provide. A generous father who gives us life through his son every day and for eternity. The gospel says that Jesus was punished for every time that we've loved money instead of God. And he himself said no. You remember when he was in the desert, he was being tempted with money. And he said no. He, he made God his God, not money. And then even though Jesus was perfect, he was punished for all the times we've made an idol of money. He was crucified, he was punished on the cross, and on the third day, he rose so that we can be adopted into God's family, the family of the generous Heavenly Father, if we trust in him, if we believe in him. And God offers not only to give us our daily bread, but he offers us to meet those deeper needs that we have, like that I was looking for in the t-shirt Acceptance, peace, forgiveness, love, eternal life. All this to any sinner who repents. And so I want to encourage you, maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know, I'm not really a follower of Jesus. And I want to let you know that Jesus will offer you something better than anything you can find by following money. And um, all, all this is available to you if you'll trust in what he did through his death and resurrection. 
So it might be confusing. I encourage you to talk with a friend or maybe talk with me after the service and um, let's clarify this. So with that, let's move um, towards communion together. And uh, just to clarify what this is about, there's the, the bread and there's the cup. Jesus said that the bread is a reminder to us of his body, that the cup is a reminder to us of his blood. And what I want to encourage you to do during this time is, is uh, consider these prompts, if they would be helpful for you. Consider repenting of a way or ways that you've made money your God, a disappointing God, and then freshly believe that the Father loves and provides better for you than money. So the way we're going to do this, you're welcome to take it whenever you'd like. So you can have time to reflect, and we're not going to do it all together. You can take it when you're ready. You can find the cup in front of you, or if you need gluten-free option, just kind of raise your hand, and these ushers here will deliver some to you, and maybe just keep it up till they get it so they don't miss you. And again, if you're not sure if you're saying, well, you know what? Uh, I'm not sure I'm following Jesus. This wouldn't be good for you to do. This is a celebration of the death of Jesus. But um, maybe if all this is making sense and you want to believe in him, then feel free. Come, come and join us in this. So um, the last song we're going to have after this will be an extension of this time, more of this kind of stuff. And it'll be a chance to just put into words your trust in God, that he will provide, that he is good for you. So let's move into a time of uh, reflection. I'll say a prayer, and um, then you can think on me. So, God, we just, uh, again, we come wanting to listen and obey. None of us have arrived with money. It's not a final destination. It's an ongoing journey of following a person. And so help us to hear your voice. Help us to respond to your word with whatever you want. And we thank you so much for providing all that we need in this life and for eternity through the gift of your son. pray this in Jesus' name.